episode 178 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. This show was recorded on Sunday, 14th of January, 2018. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. And now for a limited time, new customers to Jensen USA who are referred by the spokesman get 10% off one item. Simply enter the spokesman, no spaces, at checkout. Hi there, I'm Carlton Reed of bikebiz.com. And you are listening to episode 178 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. I am absolutely thinking of changing the name to Spokesfolk, by the way. Um, The feed will probably stay the same. That's all an incredibly difficult thing to to change because you you miss people and you miss the the feed. It'll all drop away. But I am going to change the name. However... For today, Whoa. it is Whoa. still. Oh yeah, Whoa. I don't know. We need to maybe unionize. Controversial. <laughs> and still, still the spokesman today. Even though we have, you can you can hear there. We have Donna on the show today. Hi there, Donna. Hi, happy New Year to everybody. I haven't been on in the last couple episodes, so you I haven't. hope everybody is having a great start to their New Year. Thank you. Are you snowed in still? No, the last two days it was 50 degrees. I don't know. You're going to have to translate that, Carlton. But um, it was 50 degrees here and rainy, and I have no more snow. I had 16 inches last week and no snow today. Because your dogs love the snow, yeah? My dog loves the snow. I have a husky. Yeah. She loves it. Exactly. So that's like the weather for your dog. I know. I know. She went out out snowshoeing. She had a great time. Wonderful. And we also have... Jim, one of our absolute regulars. How's it going, Jim? Uh, it's it's wonderful. It's going to be 60 degrees here in Denver in the middle of ski season. Um, thank heavens that we're not getting warmer here. But things are great. I've uh, It's the new year. Wow, I missed that. Um, no laughter, no nothing. Come on. <laughs> Christmas. Do you know, the, where have you been, Jim? <laughs> the thing that used to throw me with the new year was writing checks. So I had to oh. go, oh, but you don't write checks anymore. So I don't have to write the year 2018 anymore. So it's not thrown. No, I, I know it's new year. It. You probably have to type it. For some reason, that's, it comes more easily than having to write. Because you kind of like get used to writing to, oh, I don't know. Maybe I'm talking absolute rubbish, but I just I just think that I know it's 2018, whereas before I might have thrown because of the checks. Anyway, talking rubbish as per usual. Also on the show today, who has been on the show once before, but not with the Motley crew. He's been on a, like a spokesman special where we talked about a specific topic. And that's Casper Hughes. Oh, special. Yeah. So Casper, welcome to the regular show. Oh, hello. And Casper, tell us where you are and tell us what you do. Tell us your background and, and, and tell us everything. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you from um, a small city in the uh, <laughs> southwest of England called Exeter. I've um, uh, been here a year. Uh, <clears throat> I'm a West Country lad. But I have spent the last 20 years in London mm. and the um, first 10 of those years in London, I spent as a cycle courier 
which is pertinent to the subject of this show. Um, and it's a wonderful job. Actually, it's a decade I look back on very, very fondly. And um, out of that decade came uh, a um, race, a static bike race um, from that the couriers put on in um, in 1999, actually, the Courier Messenger World Championships. There was a static bike show sponsored by a beer called Goldsprint, and the courier that one of the couriers that was working with me came back to London and said, "This is amazing! This is amazing!" And we started putting those events on in London. Now I run a company called Roller Palooza that makes the kit, and we do about 250 of those a year. Static bike racing now, events. That was kind of like a, a big thing in the 1950s, wasn't it? Where they have a big clock behind the riders and and people basically just sweat their guts out. Oh, is it 30 seconds? How many seconds have you got? It used to be it, it used to be 440 yards, so a quarter of a mile racing was the norm. And, mm. and you're right, just after World War Two is when it peaked. And then, um, uh, then as that generation died, it, it completely disappeared. So I, I reckon there's... I reckon there's dozens of rigs stuffed away in grandparents' mm. up and down the country that uh, that uh, are unknown at the moment. But um, <clears throat> yeah, so it completely died a death. And then uh, there was a few little bits and pieces going on. There was a South London Roller uh, League that, that was regular um, until the late nineties, early thousands, I think. Um, and then we popped up and reinvigorated it, turned the riders round. We realised it was the pain on the riders' faces that was. That was more interesting than watching their butts <laughs> up and down, um, and um, completely reinvigorated it. Really. And before we get on to the the, the cycle advocacy part of that, I want to ask Donna and Jim: Have you? Do you know what we're talking about here? Do you know what uh, this is? The static roller racing against like a clock and two people doing it. Have you seen pictures of this? It's called gold sprints in the states. Gold sprints. Oh, thank you. I have no clue. <laughs> Crap, I can't get no. 10 yards on a roller, so, you know. <laughs> no, the Close. only time I ever saw that was that Interbike and Masterlock had something like that in yeah. their booth. Yeah. And um, challenged our company, and we happened to win. Oh, that very race. good. Very good. Yeah. So there you go. So you've, you've, seen, you've seen something. Similar. I've so, seen it. So Casper and his Rollerpalooza crew, you turn up to uh, bike events, corporate events. You just go up to lots of different places and just put these events on. Yeah, well, I mean, we filled nightclubs in London. We mm. filled nightclubs with about four or five hundred people. We've had Chris Hoy racing, Craig McLean. You know, we've had world champions, Olympic champions racing, and um, and um, and kids in my daughter's school racing on on pretty much the same gear. That's that's partly why it's so popular because you know it's a complete leveler everybody's on the same bike with the same gear doing the same distance you can directly compare yourself to world beaters and it is it i mean it literally just lasts about 30 seconds doesn't it so yeah i mean we don't we don't we we're we're not imperial anymore are we so uh, we (laughs) over meters these days we we race over 500 meters generally um um sometimes 250 meters a 500 meter race a very quick man will do it in 20 seconds a quick woman will do it in 20 through 22 23 seconds but those that, so those 23 seconds say 30 seconds because i'm talking about me um that's that's yeah. 30 <laughs> seconds of pure pain you think pain. oh 30 seconds who cares pain. about that 
That is just intense. You, at five seconds, you're thinking, I can't do 25 seconds more of this. It's that kind right. of thing, isn't it? It, it, Pain. When you get your when you hit your lactate thres- um, acid threshold, that's when it starts to really, really hit in. And of course, you know, we do it as a knockout. So we'll, we'll turn up and have eighty people in a room. They'll all have a go, and then we'll take the top sixteen through to the knockouts. Mm. Um, wow! The winners will have raced five times over an evening. And it's that, that's when it gets really, really difficult. Casper, yeah, you said se- you send me some. Of, you need a little bucket next to that. Yeah. <laughs> Casper, I'll put some I'll put some links in the show notes. But if if you've got videos and stuff, and I've seen yeah, videos yes, of yeah. this, so send me some links later on. I'll put that in the show notes. So anybody who's not familiar with gold sprint racing or with with uh, roller racing, oh. then have a look at the videos. They're crazy. And uh, and well, you know have a go I yourself. Really liked... Oh, sorry, Carl. No, no, no. You know no what go I for really it. liked um, that you said, Casper, is that you're doing it in schools as well. Mm. Yes. Yeah. See, that's cool because that's helping kids get involved with cycling in a different way where they may think, although we may think we're dying, kids may think it's really fun. And and how cool is that? It's, well, the other thing is with kids, you know, with, when we turn up and do these um, outdoor fairs, you know, council fairs, road clothes events or you know, anything like that at all. And um, we're always careful to make sure adults don't have too many goes. Kids, it doesn't matter. They'll just race eight, nine times. It really, they just love it. And the other real, real beauty of it as well is when you turn up, set it all up in a class, we get regularly, we get 100% participation rate. Very, very rarely. Certainly at primary schools, don't any of the kids not want to have a go. And often it'll be not the normal sporty kids that do very well at this. It'll mm. be one of the other that often just pops up and wins and it's amazing watching the you know they don't sometimes they don't think they're going to turn up and win and they just do turn up and win and beat the, the top footballers or the top runners and it's fantastic when that happens mm. oh brilliant now casper let me let me uh, go into what you also are involved with in the uk and and that is stop killing cyclists so how do you equate moving away from london and going to exeter because that is quite away from London. How how do you still keep in touch with that scene? Well, when I say I, I, I live in Exeter, probably seventy five percent of the time. The other twenty five percent of the time, I spend in London. My uh, roller palooza won't work outside of London. It's a funny old business model. We work all over Europe, but having said that, ninety percent of our work is within the M twenty five, which is the Europe road around London. Um, so I'm I'm still very very well connected to uh, lots of big London campaigns. We go and I go and regularly speak to the Walking and Cycling Commissioner, um, uh, people from London Cycling Campaign. In fact, I've I've got my first um, transport consultancy project management job coming up for mm. the City of London soon. So you know I, I I still spend an awful lot of time in London, mm. but also me being me, I've I am very much involved with the Exeter Cycling Campaign, who are an incredibly progressive campaign and who are really making massive strides in the local community down here. It's a, it's a very, very different kettle of fish to London. Well, it's the other way around, isn't it? Actually, London is a very, very different kettle of fish to everywhere else in the mm. UK. Mm. Mm, true. Okay, well, let's get into the show, folks. Um, and and Casper, if you've if you've listened to the show before, we go into pro racing topics. We go into industry stuff because it's an industry roundtable podcast more than anything, really. 
And then we go into advocacy. So I think you touch all of those 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 fears. And you certainly sent me stuff uh, beforehand uh, from a doctor friend of yours who, who you can come up on in this this first topic. So I will actually come to you first on this. Uh, normally I'd go to Donna because Donna's the absolute ace on on doping. Um, <laughs> I do have an opinion on this though, so you, go ahead. You love it so much. Uh, I do. But the, the way I'm going to introduce this is uh, well, Tim Wellens of the the Lottery Sudell team. Uh, he said recently that cyclists, certain cyclists who we know and we have discussed this before on the show, who are using inhalers uh, ostensibly for what they say is bad asthma. But he says, uh, Tim says that if if any cyclists are using inhalers, that is actually cheating. So Froome is getting hit over the your doping stick. That's what he's being hit with. But you've got an opinion or your friend, your doctor friend has got an a, opinion there, Casper. So, so what is that opinion? Yeah, this is a Dr. Chinadu Norkoru, who is a pediatric respiratory consultant. Not only is he a, a consultant, he's, um, he's done lots of work in research as well. He headed up a research team that my partner was, uh, was part of. And he specifically researches um, uh, respiratory problems in, in, in adults and children. Um, and, and, and he is of the opinion that um, in, inhaled asthma treatment won't affect uh, a rider's uh, capacity to breathe any differently. It's quite simple. Wow. <laughs> I use I use an inhaler for the first start of the season, exercise-induced asthma. Mm. And if I don't use it, I can notice it. I feel like there's a restriction on my lungs. And, and where I get it, where, I, where it happens to me is when I switch from one sport, so like skiing all winter, and I switch back to cycling, um, then I'll use it for the first 30 days. Now, after 30 days, my lungs have adjusted or whatever it seems like, and I don't need to use it any longer. Um, it's not a constant thing. And I, I do not have regular ha- asthma, just mm. this exercise-induced stuff. But I do notice it. I, I absolutely notice. A, I mean, there will be some rides. I still do them. If I forget to use it, but I come back and I feel like I'm just not getting 100% of the oxygen I need. I feel I, like- I, I, perhaps I should clarify that a little. I would clarify that definitely. When I say it doesn't affect you at all, obviously it, it affects you, but it doesn't. It doesn't improve your capacity to breathe above and beyond your natural capacity. It basically, you know, from from my very very limited knowledge of this, is 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 that it? Um, it deals with your asthmatic condition. It gets you to normal. Right, right. It gets you to normal. Like, if you have asthma, you can't breathe. So, of course, the inhaler, and this, of course, you know, I'm not a doctor, and I have no medical training. I might have stayed at a Holiday Inn last night, but, you know, but um, it gets you to normal. It gets you to allow you to breathe. So, Jim, when you're saying, you know, you go out and it absolutely helps you, it helps you to breathe. I don't know that it helps you further, Hmm. but I don't know. I've never taken one, so I don't know. Yeah, and that's what's got me confused is is I once I don't need to use it, then I just sort of forget about it. Mm-hmm. But now this summer, after I get to the point I don't need it any longer, I'm going to try it and see if there is a difference. You know, I may I may get from twelve to twelve and a half miles an hour on average. So, oh look, uh, we have our <laughs> own spokesman um, research study. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, 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 but I, I never looked at it that way. I always looked at it. I mean, Casper's friend's opinion is just blowing me away. I never looked at it that way because I always assumed that it had an effect. Um, Casper, what, that, that was posted on Facebook. What, what was the... What was the consensus once that posting went out there? Did it all quieten down or did it inflame it? Well, he's um, <clears throat> obviously his his group of friends are uh, very well educated in this, and they they all seemed to universally agree with him. It's you know when he when he steps out of that um, of that arena as such and 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 talks to uh, cycling fans, then it becomes a mm. very different debate but mm. you know it, the the fundamental difference to me to me as a lay person seems to be whether you inhale it or inject it and if you in, if you inject it it's it's a very different very different thing mm-hmm. Can I, okay i do have an opinion on this um, don't don't so, go for it <laughs> you know i would mm-hmm. um i applaud tim in in wanting to have no gray area you know, and I think that there is still a lot of gray in what's doping, what's not doping. Um, but I don't agree with his quote from the article that, that Carlton, you gave to us is when you're ill, you have no choice. You have to use it, but you can always decide to stop racing. Okay. I, that doesn't equate to me. If you're ill, like Jim says, he, he can't breathe without it. Mm. You know, why should he stop cycling if this will help him and if it helps him get back to normal? And if Casper's friend is correct and has a heck of a lot more credentials than I ever would, um, that it's not performance enhancing, why would you have to stop racing? Well, That's the piece that I I don't agree with him with, that you should be able to still race. I, but I think there's a difference in how he's looking at this. I can still ride my bike. I just can't do intervals. I'm not going out and heading west and going to climb you know, a mountain all day because it would be difficult. I can still do a flat ride and enjoy it, you know. but I'm not, I'm not getting my pulse in the 150s and 160s that day. I'm going to be happy in the 130s and 140s. I'm not racing. You know, but I think there would be a, a major difference if I was racing. I would have to use it every day until my body said, "Okay, we're here. We made it again this season." Um, but, but that, it, but you're right. It just brings me back to normal. Casper, mm. your, your 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 friend basically finished by being very scientific and and saying, you know, awaiting more information, awaiting more more data. So. They're not really having a, a full opinion. They're just saying, "Look, we 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 need to have this clarified." Yes, this is this. They fans. Yes, yeah. Okay, so I don't oh. want to. But it's I, also Jim. No, go for it, on it. Go. Um, no, well, also Jim, though. Um, if you are a if you are a racer, though, and it's not a banned substance. You're a racer and you need it to breathe. Now, I'm not saying everybody who's taking it does. Let's put that little caveat in it. Um, but why should you stop racing? I guess that was my point, is that he's telling people who have to use an inhaler to breathe, to race, 
that they shouldn't be allowed to race. And it's not a banned substance. So that's where I have the problem because then he's sort of discriminating against people who may need, need that to, to perform at their highest level. Well, yeah. we, we are going to yeah. get, we're going to get the data uh, at some point. We can discuss that again. I would like to move on at, away from doping, but not that far away from doping. <laughs> and we're going to go to Russia. Uh, and, and Jim, your, your famous brother, has sent this particular snippet in. So, so tell us about this drink. <laughs> this is hilarious, of course. Um, my my brother, just the the, the great uh, cyclist, and working full time in the ski industry this year, ski patroller, head of ski patroller at one resort and teaching at another, um, comes up with these amazing things. So the house in Sochi where the Russian doping was being done, has turned into a restaurant, and they now have drinks. One's called the Bee Sample, <laughs> and the other one's called the Melodonium, um, named after the drugs being taken or the fact that it was the Bee Sample was being switched around. I mean, it's just hilarious. It's amazing that a Russian would, would just look at it this easily and say, hey, let's just use and abuse the fact that this was where all these athletes were able to cheat uh russian sponsored cheating that got them thrown out of the winter olympics this year but and considering I, it's I in a in a country where people do get you know they disappear if they do things against the regime that's a pretty brave move to to have that i would say so that's a, that's a fascinating little snippet thank you for sending that and you're also going to give us a little um advert break here for a, a certain race that's coming back to your home state yeah, the Colorado Classic got announced as coming back for sure. Everyone was pretty happy about the idea and pretty pretty sure it was coming back, but it's definitely coming back. It's moving two days in Vail, going to do the classic time trial up there, and then two days in Denver with this with this associated Velorama, associated Velorama, which is a two day festival, uh, concerts and, and places to go, um, things to see, cycling and non cycling in downtown Denver. Uh, and it's a way to bring the cycling community together. There, but there's also – I found a lot of people who didn't go see the race because they thought that you had to buy a ticket to the Velorama to see the race. And you don't. The race is free. It's still a cycling race. It's still get up, get close, and get in the cyclist's face and have a great time. Um, it's just another way of financing cycling. And I hope it works. You know, Here we are in Colorado where, where in, in the next year or two you're going to be able to ride a bike – 280 some miles from Denver, Colorado to the state of Utah on bicycle trails, you know, where we have 100 and 200, 300 miles of new mountain bike trails being made every year. And we can't sponsor a professional bicycle race. It's but Jim, that, a so. trail and that kind of usage of a bicycle is kind of different to pro riders and sportives. Sure. sure. But the people who ride, a large percentage of them still enjoy hmm. a race. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there are, you do not go for a drive where I live any hour of the day or night and not see a cyclist out riding. Hmm. And, and other than going downtown Denver, you don't see commuters. You see people riding for enjoyment, riding for fitness, you know, riding. Hmm. Uh, if you go downtown Denver, you see people, coming in in the morning and the evenings for work, commuters. Um, and in the weekends, you see all sorts of people on the bike trail just out for fun. Mm. 
Mm. But every day you see cyclists that are out training. And yet mm-hmm. we can't see to sponsor a professional bike race. Mm. It's just frustrating. Well, why do you think that is? Uh, I think that we have two major groups of people in Colorado. And I think that the people who have the ability to write a check to mm. support a bicycle race. Yeah, it's money. Money, 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 money. Don't money. Care. Mm. Yeah. Nice. They don't care about bicycle racing. Um, we get the best support for bicycle racing from the towns that have ski areas. Now, I'm going to understand. Jim, I'm going to interrupt there and I'm going to segue into something here now. And I don't generally mention this guy's name on the podcast all the time, but it's pertinent here. And that is a previous sponsor of cycling. You may know where I'm going here with this. Uh, Tour de Trump was a was a, a, a race back in the day. So that guy who sponsored that bike race has has well, he's come on in the world. Um, he's now your president. Now, uh, Donald Trump. I thought this was supposed to be a positive. Well, bu- well, I, I'm segueing it because the Donald Trump angle does come into this. Don't worry. So Patrick O'Grady, who is a massive listener uh, to this show, he's always the first guy to 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 retweet when when I say the show is available. Uh, I did want him to, to come on the show today. I did I did say, would he come on the show today? He, he may be not awake yet because it's uh, it's still early way where he is. Um, and the reason I'm mentioning him is a Trump angle. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Patrick is uh, Mad Dog. He's the guy who writes the Mud Stud or draws Mud Stud, the cartoon in the the back of Bicycle Retailer and Industry News. But he also writes this and it's a phenomenal. I love this uh, this this column. It's, it's probably the, the first column I turned to in Bicycle Retailer. So he writes a column. It has always, always been highly, highly political. He's always worn his politics on his sleeve. As you can imagine, the last years worth of columns have been incredibly orange in 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 theme he's now been canned he is now no longer he writing for bicycle retailer his cartoon is still in there so maybe still some of his his politics will come through that but you won't be able to to read about it anymore and in the same issue where he was canned you had a bicycle retailer who said i just don't want to listen to this guy's politics anymore and then you turn to the back of the issue and he's he's writing his his column obituary saying, you know, I'm out of here. Incredibly sad from from my point of view. So mine too. I'm, I'm guessing lots of people have, have, have liked this. So we don't want to get into into politics intensely here. But before we came on on air, I was saying that maybe the industry and the owners of businesses, let's say, may be conservative with a big or small C, may be potentially more Republican than, for instance, the journalists who cover this industry. So I'm going to come to Donna first, just because I'm cruel. And would that be a would that be a fair reflection? Would you say the PR people as well? I'm, I'm going to I'm going to introduce uh, that kind of person as well, and the media. The, the the snowflakes in effect uh, in the industry would you say that's fair that there's a definite split between the people uh, who are owning the companies and the people who are writing about the companies i can't say for sure 
I mean, I and and for one, I I I detest this whole topic. But um, what I would hope has happened at Bicycle Retailer, and I know nothing about this, I will preface it, is that um, if readers of the publication were complaining, the publication needs to continue, they need to pay their bills, um, if people were going to stop advertising or whatever because of some strong political beliefs, one, I would hope maybe the magazine wouldn't, wouldn't cave to that, but business is business and you do have to stay afloat um if they had talked with the writer and you know with with mad dog mud stud um and said hey can you tone it down a bit and he didn't want to Hmm. i applaud him for that because we all have to stand up for what we believe in at some point in our life we have to stand up and we have to feel good about our own lives and how we live our lives and stand up for our beliefs. So if that were the case, I applaud him very, very much. And Jim, you were going to pitch in there too. Oh, I'm all over it. So, yes, (laughs) there is a massive gulf between the people who run the businesses and the people who participate in them. And you see that extremely well here in Denver. Um, And I'll start out with, with... the ski industry. Um, the owners of the ski areas are conservative Mm -hmm. and they don't believe in global warming and they don't believe that our environment is changing and they just think it's a bad weather year Mm. for the 13th year in a row. (laughs) You know, the, the, the head of Aspen ski area who I have an immense amount of respect for because of this sent out a letter, open letter last year, the year before says, look, it happens if you don't get on board, we're not going to have a ski industry. And there was just just utter silence from the people he sent the letter to. And I think that, that – and I don't have as much proof in the, in the cycling industry, but I feel it's the same. The people who own the bike manufacturers don't want to do anything other than make sure they put a lot of money in their pocket. And this is not all of them. And there are a lot of them that are putting a lot of money into bicycle uh, support and are putting money into helping uh, get better cycleways and political issues there. But it only is concerning putting more money in their pocket. And as far as whether or not we'll be able to cycle in Denver in the next year, uh, because it'll get too hot, too many hundred degree days, uh, it's not an issue. They, it's just bad weather. Um, let, let, not true. Let me just broaden it out slightly. And this, I can bring Casper in this way if I broaden this out in this way. In that, in the US and in the, in, in the UK and probably globally, cycling is seen by many people as Democrat, as left wing, as this is not something uh, conservatives, conservatives drive radical left, uh, green huggers, people who believe in climate change, they're going to be the, the cyclists. Casper, to bring you in here, would you say that's how cycling is often perceived when when you're going around it with your with your political hat on with your stop killing cyclist hat on do you get any of that that this is a you're clearly a radical lefty if you're a cyclist and then you very difficult to then talk to a, a conservative stroke republican administration well nationally i 
I, I wouldn't say it seems radical, radically left, but yeah, naturally, it's a, there's certainly definitely a, a, a left slant to it. I would, I would have said, but, but obviously that's that, that's blown out of the water in London because everybody thinks that um, the the previous mayor, who was a Conservative mayor, has done more for cycling than than anybody else. Mm. Not necessarily true, but that's certainly how it's perceived, and 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 of course it's. Um, Often the right wing have better control of PR and, and media, don't they? Mm. O- ownership, yes. Yes, yes, yeah. So same question to to you guys in America then. Is, is maybe a yes or no answer. Is cycling a left? Is cycling democratic and is driving Republican? Or, well, just what, what are your opinions on that? Okay, it's never a yes or no answer with us. You know this by now. Come on. I think I can even speak for Jim there. Um, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't say that specifically, that that driving is one way and cycling is another way, um, because I think there are, although it's odd to say, I think there's plenty of drivers that are very concerned with all kinds of things that maybe the White House is not concerned with. Um, But um, so you couldn't really say that. I think generally the cyclists, people that commute to work and and cycle and maybe even, you know, do things as such as messenger and all of that kind of stuff, I think you probably in a very generalistic way could could put them in the the Democrat side. although I'm going to be very, very neutral with this. But I will say one thing as a PR person, that whole global warming thing, that was a very badly named um, phrase Mm, that if a PR person had got ahead of that, it should have been climate change from the beginning. That Mm. is my two cents on that. I think it would have got a lot lot more um, support if it had been called climate change right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. My two cents. Mm-hmm. And I'll toss it over to Jim. Close the oh, issue out, Jim. I have an opinion about this. Yeah, <laughs> baloney. Sorry. Sorry. I mean, I, Donna would be perfect in front of a podium when disaster strikes and we need somebody <laughs> to make sure it's covered up well. <laughs> I mean, you're good at your job, Donna. But I, and I can lose clients over this, but I don't care at this point in time. Uh, I have nieces and nephews that I want to live in a world that I knew about and can see the things that I saw. And I believe, I believe that the wording is wrong. It's climate change. But we have got to figure out how to do something. Hmm. Cyclists, skiers, and all the other sports, the people who manufacture the equipment, not 100%, uh, but I would think a vast number, if not the vast majority of them, are not in favor of doing anything to help the sport long-term. They're only in favor of helping their bottom dollar today. Mm. That means ignoring the facts that are going on that are changing our world, changing the earth as we know it. Mm -hmm. While not a cycling company, though, I do have to say the one company that is putting the money where their mouth is and where their constituency is, is Patagonia. Mm -hmm. Oh, And I am... Dressed in Patagonia today, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, For I mean, that reason. I mean, that is that is specifically why we are buying Patagonia in our house at this point. Great product, but and I don't mean to give them a total plug, but um, but that that's the reason why. We all need to, to stand up for what we believe in in many different ways. 
it, it, know, it, it is pretty difficult. I, I am, um, I, I, for the first time in my life, I'm just setting up a um, manufacturing. It's a, it's a very small, simple thing that I'm manufacturing. And um, it is incredibly hard to make sure that the whole supply chain is as sustainable as possible. Mm. And at every turn, I am faced with people that will will immediately assume that um, top priority is cost and profit margin, whereas I'm trying my absolute uttermost to make sure that the top priority is sustainability of sourcing of everything down to does the factory only use renewable energy, which it does. Is, it a, is it a bicycle product you're making there? What are you making there? Casper? I can't tell you yet i can't say yet but yes it is it is bicycle related but i can't say yet give me the exclusive tell us all when you're you're done the last time we got that line it was about floyd's leadville i think (laughs) i don't think it's gonna be marijuana based i really don't unless i I could be i could be wrong there (laughs) not even hemp hemp would have been an option but you know replacing polyester is is difficult Mm. Okay, well, you come back on the show and you can tell us all about it, Casper. Now, we were talking about Bicycle Retailer there. Bicycle Retailer, uh, who, who has fired uh, Mad Dog, um, is owned by the NBDA, which is the National Bike Bicycle Dealer Association. So, Jim, uh, you've got a, a number of, of talking points you want to raise here. Can you wrap them all up into a succinct couple of sentences of what's going on at the NBDA? Yes. Um, National Bicycle Dealers Association, which is a great group of retailers, the people who own the bike shops, um, is a trade association. Um, And like a lot of trade associations, they have their ups and their downs. And this last one was they had had an executive director for many years, had put together a war chest for them of a million dollars, that they could use to do things, and they decided they wanted to jump ahead. And in 16 months, the million dollars was gone. The new executive director was was let go because there was no money to pay him. Mm. And the MBDA is going to be hanging in there and and making you know they're coming back, but you know 16 months you you get rid of your old executive director who was phenomenal in my opinion. Controlled the board, did a great job, got programs out there, um, hired a new guy who had great ideas, but he was unchecked, I think. Um, I mean, I personally liked him because I thought he had some awesome ideas. They bought uh, Barnett Cycling Institute so they could could really work on on getting their mechanics trained. Um, But they just burned through the money. And now, uh, of course, and then Brain, Bicycle Retailer and Industry News, is left holding the bag. And how to write about it. You know, mm. they're owned by the company. They can't see anything bad. They can't see anything good. Uh, the, the artist tiptoed through the disaster in an extremely professional way um, mm. and did a great job, in my opinion, uh, of saying, look, uh, this is what happened. Um, and, and they're going to survive. They're coming back. But, boy, was it so, interesting. Jim, would you say that the problems they had there were organizational or was there anything endemic to the 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 woes of the bike industry the bike retail industry for 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 a definite that that's happening around the world right now with with bike shops suffering was any of that to play or was it all organizational 
you, you know, bike shops may be suffering, and, and they are, uh, but their suffering could not make the disaster these changes made this quickly. 16 months to go through a million, burn through a million dollars, um, it, that had nothing to do with the state of the industry. That mm. was just poor planning from uh, poor long-term thoughtfulness on where we're going and how we're going to spend our money to get there. And it sounds like no checks and balances. I, I was not that's part a lot. of it. Yeah, I had moved on. Uh, I'd done some work for them, and and I was it was good. We were we parted friends. I'm always available to help out. I, I you know, my my rate I gave them was nothing compared to everything else. And I would, I, if they need help, I'll always be there to help them. I think they're a great group of people, and I support them. Uh, so I don't really know if there's no checks or balances or just no long-term thought. You know, uh, yeah, we spend a half million dollars to buy this educational organization. Are we going to be able to keep it afloat? You know, mm-hmm. uh, it, you, it, nonprofits, which the trade association is, uh, have to have money coming in constantly. Membership dues usually don't aren't enough. And so a lot of them will buy for profits to, to help that out. And that works, but nonprofits can't run for profits and nonprofits are nonprofits for a reason. The board is volunteer. They have an executive director. They went from, I don't know, a dozen employees down to three, I think, you know, um, I guess it doesn't help. I know you're saying it's mainly more organizational than, than the woes of the industry, but it can't be helping that there's woes in the industry at exactly the same time. Oh, yeah, it can't be helping. But even worse is now there's nobody behind the industry to help, you know, work on those woes. There's nobody there to say, hey, let's do this or let's do that. There, there are going to be a cutback in some of these programs that are not going to be there to help the retailers like the association always has in the past. Mm. But I, I just don't think that – I'm sure there was some impact. It just wasn't big like – um, you know, the, the retailers uh, are no longer bu- paying their dues and all, there's a massive loss of income. That didn't happen. Um, most of the, the retailer shakeout I, I, in the MBDA had occurred and their uh, membership was somewhat stable. I mean, they may lose one or two a year, but one or two is not a million dollars. Right. Well, that's one to, to look out for. That's That's obviously very concerning. Now, uh, I'd like to bring Donna in here and we can talk about it globally as well because but Donna's going to be talking about like the US uh, event that's happened here but pretty much everywhere around the world has had very similar uh, championships today so this is a cyclocross uh, championships but Donna what, what, what do you want to talk about the, the, the Masters champs in, in the US? No I really just wanted to give a shout out to um, the three riders in the Masters the 45-49 National Cyclocross Championships that were held out in Reno last week. Um, They were together up to the final lap and in a sprint and and in uh, in deference to that they the podium finishers got all the same time which is great so um, uh, Paul Bonds from Texas third matt davis from colorado was second and then adam meyerson from here in my home state uh, so the people in the u.s will know that massachusetts um was champ so um seems like it was a great race and um i just wanted to give him a little shout out 
So the link that. that you sent there, Donna, was from, from Cyclocross magazine. So I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. Casper, yeah. have you, of all the, you've done lots of different kinds of cycling. Have you done cyclocross? That's another one of these events that's kind of like really difficult to do, even though it's quite relatively short. Yeah, yeah, I have. We ran um, an event called Muddy Muddy Hell, which was mm. which was about the biggest cross event in the country. Oh, it was blimey, it was 10, 10 years ago now. At the time, I, I mean, uh, it's, typically we did it slightly left field. We uh, did it at night time. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> ran, ran the course through um, a bar tent and um, put hurdles. Were well, thirty six centimetre hurdles all around the course, apart from the ones in the bar tent, which were forty centimetres. So, so, <laughs> so were people mainly uh, getting their bikes, lifting them over, or were there loads of people bunny hopping over? They were bunny hopping them over. It didn't take them long to realise that the ones in the uh, bar tent were a little bit taller. <laughs> oh. <laughs> a, a number of them fell off. Taller? Yeah. That is cruel. Of course it is. Oh, okay. At least, at least you know that. That's okay. Okay. Makes it's it interesting. <laughs> now, a, a, a wee while ago, I talked about um, Democrats versus Republicans versus driving versus cycling. And I was saying that uh, potentially an awful lot of the owners of bike companies uh, may be Republican. Now, that isn't always the case because Trek, uh, the Burke family, are famously Democrat. Well, uh, John Burke, who, who owns the company now, would say he's an independent because he, he writes missives to presidents saying you should do things this way. <sighs> However, his sister uh, went up uh, to be a state senator, I believe, uh, as, a, as a Democrat. So I, I would say it'd be fairly safe to say that the Burke family are Democrats. So Trek... If I'm going to mention it here, this is the segue in. It's now working with uh, a car company, uh, Ford. And at uh, the Consumer Electronics Show at, uh, at, at Las Vegas, it's still going on, I believe. Uh, they've got a, quite a big booth, a big stand, in which they're showing uh, this, this bicycle-to-vehicle comm system, which is basically, in effect, little beacons which you put on a bike and that tells similarly equipped uh, motorists with their cars that there's a cyclist ahead. I personally think there's an enormous amount of logistical and ethical problems with this. But what do other people think? So I'm going to come to, 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 to Donna first. Oh, no, Jim, you want to come in first? No, what are your problems? I, I want to understand My problem? what you think. Well, yeah. clearly not everybody's going to have these. So it's only going to be a Trek rider who's got the right kind of beacon. And then potentially in court cases coming up, Jim, being an attorney, you could tell me if this is right or wrong. It could be brought up, well, that cyclist is clearly at fault, Your Honour, because he doesn't have a beacon. If he had a beacon, my client would not have killed him. So I think there's ethical as well as logistical problems with this. It's interesting technology, but the technology already exists in that motorists to be looking out for cyclists with or without these fancy bits of artificial intelligence that's that's where i'm I'm coming at this from but jim you jumped in there so are you are you, are you well, not with me on that yeah i could understand first of all the lawsuit's not going to change because in most of the states of the united states if you're not wearing a helmet you're not wearing your seatbelt, it doesn't affect the overall lawsuit so not having this beacon here in the u.s is not going to make the lawsuit worse for the cyclists um I mean, and granted, there's definitely a marketing side to this. Hey, buy a Ford or buy a Trek, and you'll have a better chance of not being hit by a car. Um, I worked with somebody a year ago 
who had the idea on their phones that mm. they were trying to get a car manufacturer to put this thing in the car and the cyclist's phone would notify the car uh, that, you know, there was a cyclist ahead. Um, and, and I, you know, I suspect that Trek will sell more bikes, but I also suspect that Trek is not going to be so scary that they would not sell that beacon outright. You know, you can buy it in a Trek bike for nothing, or you can go to your local store and buy it for twenty nine ninety five and attach it to your bike. But Jim, you're going to get like a fraction of 1% of cyclists out there fitting these things. So why should they be so protected when motorists could then say, well, that, that you know, the majority of cyclists don't have these beacons and I'm, I'm hitting them all the time. They should have these beacons. Why, why use technology when you could just look out your windscreen? Because we have people every day that don't look out their windscreen or their windshield. They, <laughs> you know, we have people who just ignore the fact that cyclists are on the road. I mean, there are some people where cyclists are a target. Mm-hmm. It's a different story. But we get people – I mean, I started a map that one year of every location where cyclists got hit and killed, and, and it was depressing. I was putting one place up or sometimes two every day. Um, and that, that's the issue is cyclists are getting killed because car drivers aren't going to pay attention. They're now used to their new cars telling them when they're out of the lane, when they're too close to the car in front of them. You know, the cars are doing all the driving. Why not let's set up a system where the car is told there's a bike in front of you, slow down, or do something to wake up the idiot that's sitting behind the wheel? Casper, with your stop killing cyclist hat on, you couldn't get better for this particular uh, segment. So where do you stand on this this fitting a beacon, you're safe angle? Oh, it's, it's just a, it's a ridiculous gimmick as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it, it, you know, it, 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 I'm not really even interested in, in, in discussing it when, when really we should be talking about creating, creating and changing the street environment and creating protected space for cyclists, for people who want to ride bikes to, to use. You know, that's, that's what's going to keep people safe. And that's, there isn't, it's, I, I think, the, Jim, the difference is over here, I think, you know, if um, things like this do have an effect on um, on court cases because the, um, it, the they will be used to influence the, the jury's decision, which mm. which is a terrible thing. The, the way that cases are, are currently run over here uh, are, are appalling. I'd much prefer there were bench cases where there was no jury uh, and for a start. But, you know, it, it, it's... it's simple really you know we should be spending we, we need three billion pounds over here in the uk to uh to create an entire network of um or at least a good beginning of a, a start of a network of protected space then it doesn't matter nearly so much how, how what gimmicks people have got who's, who's got a beacon or not uh, so donna from a, you can tell us your opinion on this what we've been discussing and whether you agree with us or not but just from a pr point of view do you think this is a good bit of pr for trek to be at ces with ford with this beacon or a bad bit of pr from a pr standpoint i think it's great i think that um you know they're talking about that and and i wholeheartedly agree with this and i think everyone could agree with this on the call maybe not but they want to make cycling safer and move it from a passive approach to, uh, to cycling safety, to an active safety measures. 
Um, and I think we can all agree with that, whether it's safe spaces or it's these um, beacons or whatever it is, that more and more companies, car companies, bike companies, really need to be talking about keeping cyclists safe on the road and how do we do that. We may all have different opinions about how to get that done, but that is the right message. That is the right path to be taking as a company, as a leader in, in the cycling industry. Um, so I, I think it absolutely is a great start to that conversation or a continuation of that conversation. And that conversation has to keep happening. It has to. So Jim's map can, can um, decrease and there, there aren't as many push pins in it or, you know, or there's these safe spaces that Casper's talking about. Whatever it is, those conversations have to happen and companies have to start somewhere, you know, and maybe it is a gimmick at this point. But in my mind, you know, standard setting has to start somewhere, right? So all the safety measures that we have in cars or the safety precautions for cyclists, they all started somewhere. And I will go back to my NASCAR because you knew I couldn't do a whole show without <laughs> saying that, um, is that, you know, the, all their safety measures with safer barriers and all of that, it all had to start somewhere. And some may have been, you know, not seen as great measures, uh, in a car or a bike or a racetrack or whatever, but it all got you to the point where you needed to be. And we can all agree that we need to be safer on the roads with cyclists. So um, that was a very long-winded way of saying, I think they're on the right track. Whether this is the right thing or not, I don't know, but that conversation needs to happen and the big guns in the industry need to be pushing that conversation. Okay. Now, I am going to be wrapping up the show shortly. And I'm going to be wrapping it up because I've got to go out and do my fitness training. I am going to be paid to do that fitness training this evening in the dark, in the cold, perhaps even in the, in the rain. Now, how am I getting paid? I am I'm doing something that's called Deliveroo. So in the UK, uh, this is, in effect, messengers going out there on their bicycles, delivering gourmet burgers lovely indian food to people's houses and i get paid to do that and whereas my kids think i'm absolutely crazy for doing this why am i doing this it's because even tiny little incentives even though it's not a huge amount of money and i'm not doing a, a, a ton of hours i'm doing like nine hours a week but i'm getting out there and in my head i'm a 1980s uh, messenger which I, I, I find a very romantic uh, thing to have done. And, and I know Casper uh, has, has done this, so he can, he can talk about this in a second. But Deliveroo, we were discussing before the show, uh, is kind of in the UK, we know exactly what Deliveroo is. You guys in the US were kind of thinking, oh, hadn't heard of that before. So Jim, have you researched this? Have you found a US equivalent? No. Um, in some of the larger cities, yes, there's the opportunity to get a bike messenger, but uh, around here, there's nothing. Uh, how how far how far do you ride on your on the farthest delivery you make, Carl? Oh, it's like two to three miles. So you've got to be very close to a city center to actually get the the, the food. Um, but in in our in the UK, you know, two three miles out of a city center, and you've got the majority of your your student population. You've got the majority of your your people who are buying this kind of stuff. So it's not suburbs. It's not 
you know, you're not traveling, you know, 15 miles out. It's, it's, it's relatively short and it's, it's, it's sprint. So I'm doing sprint training in effect. So taking, going to a restaurant, picking up food in a, in a, in a um, insulated bag and then taking it to a customer incredibly fast. And I, I, I love that. And I actually love doing it at, at, at night. I don't do it in the day at all. So I do my day job and then I go out and do delivery. So Donna, you also said that you hadn't heard of this before. You, is that because you're more rural so you're not getting it? Is that? Yes. So I also live in the suburbs, not in the main city. But I'm thinking as you're talking about doing your sprints that I think you should do Casper's races. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm getting fit now. I actually, last year I would have gone, oh, yeah, I'll have to do some training. Now there's no excuse. I, I'm actually, in effect, doing training. So three times a week I'm doing some really intense exercise uh, and losing weight. So I've lost... Uh, uh, five kilograms. So I've wow. I've kind of lost. I'm, it's a fair bit. It's uh, so I was sixty five, and I'm now just over, just slightly over sixty, and that's just in like six weeks of doing this. So I'm I'm definitely doing this for for the incentive to get out there in the the cold and the dark. So Casper, tell me that my image of messengers as being this incredibly romantic i haven't got a tattoo yet i haven't i'm I'm doing this on a fixie i'm actually doing on a cargo bike but am i right to think that this was an incredibly romantic thing to do or was it just hard slog for low wages what 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 are we getting wrong here on my my opinion of messengers in 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 that kind of epoch oh it's 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 both it really is both you know I, i look back very very fondly on the decade I spent as 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 a cycle career and and um, there's very very little about it I didn't love. There is a you know it's it's easy to romanticise um, and it's hard. I mean we were doing we were doing fifty to hundred miles a day five days a week. A lot of the time I've never in my life been as fit as I was then, <laughs> and also it completely and utterly shafted my back. You know after I read your article in the Guardian recently, I had pangs <laughs> and. I, Sitting there thinking, oh, I can go and do this in Exeter. There's loads of delivery riders here. And then I thought, I've got a cargo bike. I would have to go and do it on a cargo bike because, you know, when I was a group, for example, we, we, we carried, it's ridiculous now when I look back on it. But I worked in the photographic industry and we carried the, the, the cubic containers, uh, 35 kilograms of alkaline. Oh, of, on your back? Used to, wow. On oh. Fifteen pounds to carry it for ten minutes, basically, to the next branch. Oh. So it's you know it's not something that we would um, we would ever turn down. But by the time I got to the next branch, my left arm was numb because we had a an old school um, pack courier bag, and it just went over one oh. arm. It, it was wasn't a, wasn't a rucksack. Um, but no, I mean uh, uh, what, the, the the negatives are, are tiny. The positives far outweigh the negatives. I loved it. I loved every second of it. It was crazy and, and brilliant fun. Then, you know, we'd go to the Messenger World Championships and uh, Deliveroo uh, have got their own competition now, mm, haven't they? In, they have, yeah. In London. Um, and and the, um, the subculture at the time was, was, was really fantastic in London. There was a pub on Theobald's Road that they called the Duke of York where there would be three or four hundred couriers drinking on a Friday night. It was, it, uh, we used to... There would, would be races to race. There would be European Championships, World Championships. There was loads and loads of events. There was the, even um, 
four or five bands that just put on they were pretty much career only uh gigs and so, you know that's just where my company came from it's, you know we put on a race once a year that was just attended by couriers until until what 2000 and what 2003 2004 and then and then these people that weren't careers that were dressed like careers started to turn mm. up which could... <laughs> the the kind of the fashion the fashion the aping the aping yeah. the hips yeah the hipsters were they looked like messengers but they weren't messengers yes i i looked i did some google research here so where i live i would have access to a total of three restaurants within two to three miles that were not chains mm. now chain restaurants that are, you know, every two miles you can find uh, a chain restaurant. But the individual restaurants are spaced out so far here that to get to get all the good seafood that I love from 240 Union, you'd have you'd have a thousand you'd have nine hundred foot elevation gain and loss mm. and it would be a four and a half to five mile ride one way. Mm. Uh, so it, 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 it I would love to see it. It would work it worked downtown. Yeah, mm-hmm. it worked downtown. You know, it worked near DU. It worked near Metro State. It worked downtown Denver. It'd be fantastic. Um, Man- Manhattan, places like that must have right. these kind of things. So uh, where you're going to get congestion, where there's lots of people in a, in a short space of time and where there are lots of restaurants as well. You've got to have that. You've got to have a, a population that is already eating out. And then they just want to eat at home, but buy from the same restaurants, like you've just said there, with your with your seafood. Yeah. So, Casper, let me ask you this. But uh, you might not know this. Uh, you might. What do modern day messengers think of Deliveroo? Do they think they're they're somehow lesser bicycle riders, lesser messengers? What do you do know what they think? I mean, we. We we used to have this discussion when they were when we first noticed them popping up, uh, and and you know no we didn't think they were at the time, um, which which you know it, it, it depends an awful lot who you who you were speaking to, uh, an awful lot of careers just you know completely look down their nose at them absolutely and completely personally. Now I think you know if you're delivering stuff on a bike, you're a courier. It's as simple as that. Mm. So there is a company called Stewart. That does both. They are both a standard courier firm and they do the hot food. So they're kind of going between Deliveroo and standard messenger firms. Are you familiar with Stuart? Yes. Yeah. And are they are they attracting couriers, you know, messenger types, or are they again attracting gig economy people like me? Uh, from what from what I've seen, they're, they see, they appear to be attracting couriers. But the, the the Stuart bikes I've seen in London are are cargo bikes, where mm-hmm. which which seem to attract couriers, what I would say are traditional couriers rather than um, gig economy couriers. Mm. Mm. Okay. Um, Um, You're getting fit. This is awesome. Good for you. It's a fabulous excuse for getting out there. It's motivating me, basically. I I quite enjoy knocking on people's doors and giving them burgers. It's... (laughs) It's kind of it's really strange that I'm 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 getting a kick out of that, but I am getting a a, a kick out of it. So, so you're so, getting yeah. paid to get fit. Yeah. So how it was described on on um, Ranty Highwayman actually on on uh-huh. Twitter said uh-huh. it's basically the gym that pays you, and it's like, yep, it's January. This is when people now 
go to gyms and then very quickly move away from gyms because they're, they're no longer interested. Well, I'm going to a gym, but they're actually paying me. I'm not paying a dime for this thing. They're actually paying me. It's, again, it's not a huge amount of money. This is not something, you know, I can, I can ever think I could make a living at this. And, and that's almost ethically potentially bad because maybe I'm taking away the, the, the work of people who actually do this for a living. So I know... One of the guys who, in fact, the guy who I photographed for the Guardian piece, he does uh, 11 o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night, seven days a week. He is riding a ton. He's obviously skinny as a rake. But what he's doing, he's saving up money to then go having a a splash out uh, three months away in, in Thailand. So that's what he's doing it for. He's working incredibly hard for like six months and then he's going to be having six months, you know, having the life of Riley. I've got two things. I have a good, well, I had a good friend. He died doing this, but uh, <laughs> he sold hot dogs out of a hot dog stand on the Pearl Street Mall in Boulder. And after he had saved up enough money, he'd go back to the mm. Himalayas and go climbing. Mm. Um, and it, did it for did it for years. It's very uh, typical. I, I've, I've met um, people who are traveling the world when I was traveling the world. And I met brickies, people who build for a living. And they would just build for six months, work incredibly hard, and then travel for six months. So that's, that's yeah. a, a common thing, I think. Yeah, yes. definitely. Well, I, I keep thinking I should go downtown Denver and, and work for one of the, the jitney services, the three-wheeled bike services where mm. you take people around. But I always have this fear that the only people I'd be able to pick up are about my size and I wouldn't <laughs> be able to do it. You know? so. Jim, it would get you fit very quickly, though. Yeah, and I could also die of a heart attack. (laughs) (laughs) um, A lot of couriers don't even bother to save up. You know, the 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 mess fan I think it's uh, referred to as these days is um, is global. And rather than saving up and and going and visiting somewhere, you just go and work as a courier in another city for a while. I mean, yeah, very very regularly has American and Australian couriers working over here and you know i very regularly careers went and disappeared and worked in well one of the careers i was working with is working in switzerland at the moment and he's been there for a year another one of the benefits of, of this is i'm learning a lot more about my home city because i'm having to ride into places i wouldn't have otherwise ridden i'm, I'm seeing some fantastic restaurants which i think i quite like that you'd have to be a real bar fly to see the amount of restaurants and bars that I go into at the moment. So I'm like whittling down the best bars and restaurants in Newcastle just by going in there and picking up gourmet burgers. It's a, it's, it's, it's a strange one. So how do you not, how do you not eat the food while you're getting hungry riding out to the house? That's a very good point actually, Carlton. A diet in the evening is increasing. No, not especially. Um, but I'm not doing it that much. You know, if I was doing it the, the, the amount of time, you know, the 11 o'clock to 11 o'clock, I'm sure I'd be eating, you know, a horse every day. But now I'm just eating the same kind of food that I normally eat. So that's why I'm losing the weight. So I'm not really eating anymore, but I'm exercising a ton more. And it's yeah. just an excuse for me to get out there. Whereas normally I would have an excuse of, oh, it's dark. It's horrible. It's, it's not very nice out there. I'm not going to go out. I'll just, I'll just go on twitter for a couple of hours and now i do three hours of, of riding my bike i love it i i think it would work for me but you know if i went to a burger joint and i picked up four burgers for a household 
I'd ask for a fifth one so I could eat it on the way out. I might even take a sixth one so I'd have something to eat on the way back, you know? Yeah, I think you might struggle there, Jim. Right, okay, folks. Uh, we are not doing tips today. That was, uh, that was what got Donna on the show. So I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad to jettison tips just to get Donna back on the show. So wonderful to have you back here, Donna. Uh, right, this is the, the, the time of the show, without tips, that we have uh, to tell people where we can get in touch with each other. So I'm going to go to our, our, our second person who's been on the show uh, twice now, uh, but is a newbie to the, the, the regular usual suspects part of of, uh, of this uh, show and that is Casper. So Casper how do we get in touch with you on Twitter, Facebook, social media, website? How do we how do we find you? Um, I, I, I'm going to go with my business uh, Twitter account here which is which is Rollerpalooza, the, the static bike racing company that I run. You bet you're going to spell that as well. How do you spell um, that? Yeah, I always have to spell it. It's R-O-L-L-A P-A-L-U-Z-A. Uh, and actually, two, um, we've narrowed it down to two of the London couriers lay claim to that name, but they were they were both so drunk when they told us that, that we don't know which one it was. They refused <laughs> to admit to it. So it's two of them, basically. Um, um, yes, that's, that's, uh, I have direct access to that Twitter account, so you can get me through that one. Cool. And what about Stop Killing Cyclists? It's um, it's stop killing cycles, so it's without the ists on the end and no e either. Um, I, again, I have direct access to that Twitter account, so by all means, contact me through there if if it's a uh, safety orientated query. And is it you tweeting, or is it a number of you tweeting? There's a number of us tweeting. It is okay. as often as me, but yeah, there is a number of us. Okay, and uh, Donna, how do we get in touch with Donna? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Donna Tosi, T-O-C-C-I. Um, you can also find me on Instagram, but as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, my Instagram probably is more about my husky and some of my more personal stuff, but um, but you can find me there as well. Same name. Okay, wonderful. And last but not least, Jim, where do we get in touch with you on social media? On Twitter, I'm at Recreation Law, one word. On the web, I'm recreation-law.com, uh, or you can email me at recreation.law at gmail.com. Brilliant. Thank you. And I am at Carlton Reed on Twitter. Uh, if you've got a delivery app in your Newcastle, you will probably see me coming to your house later this evening. If you're not, uh, you should set up one of these in your home city because uh, it, it's great to get food delivered by hot, sweaty getting fit cyclist i am uh, my day job is as the executive editor of uh, bikebiz.com and do go and visit that because we have actually redesigned it and it's now mobile friendly and much fresher looking website etc etc uh so this has been let me have a look what whatever it's 178 isn't it have a look yes it has been episode 178 of the spokesman cycling roundtable podcast thank you ever so much for listening thank you uh, for subscribing and thank you uh, for telling your friends about the spokesman cycling roundtable podcast and until we have the next show get out there and ride